You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Amen. We're beginning a new series called Surviving Your Finances. I know none of you have any financial problems, so this probably won't concern you. But maybe you can use it to teach somebody else. Uh, surviving Your Finances. title of the first message is Money. Is money a tool or a treasure? Is it something that you use as a tool? In other words, is this something that God has brought into your life, a blessing that He gives you, in order to use it to build and to further the kingdom? Or is money something to be treasured, to be hoarded, to hang on to, to put away, and, uh, and, and to keep to yourself? And, and that's, that's what we're looking at today. And um, I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Luke chapter 16, verse 9. And, and um, while you're doing that, just to remind you again that, that money is probably the greatest, most difficult discipline in the life of a believer. I really believe that. In fact, in in all honesty, most of the people who come for counseling or marriages that are in trouble or almost always do, in 99.99% of the cases, almost always do at some point to financial stress and anxiety and the struggles of trying to make ends meet. These are tough times that we live in. Amen? They're difficult. And, and believe you me, we, we all feel it. We all feel it. Um, I, I was speaking years ago in Zimbabwe in a church, and I, and I was talking to them about idolatry. And I said, you know, I said, I just happen to have America's God with me. And boy, they, 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 all of a sudden you looked out there in this African congregation, their eyes got big, they were thinking. They could not believe this missionary had the, uh, an idol with him. And I said, I, I do. And I, and I said, that idol... And I pulled this out. And back in those days, they were operating on the Zimbabwe dollar, which had been devalued a great deal. And I held this up. And I said, this is America's God. And it was a $1 bill. And you and I know that this is probably the greatest struggle in the life of so many of us as believers. We battle with this thing of how to handle money. And it affects marriages, it affects homes, it affects so many of our lives. You can't live without it. And yet it seems to be a struggle to how, to how to maintain it, how to keep it up. And so in Luke chapter 16, verse 9, Jesus makes a statement here. He says this, he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Let me read that again. Now remember this is written, Luke inspired by the Holy Spirit, this doctor, this traveling partner, the Apostle Paul, he's writing the the life of Jesus Christ, he's noting the sayings of Christ, the things that Christ shared, and Jesus said this, he said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Let's take a moment and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now, Lord, and we love you. We give you all glory, Lord. Already you've spoken to our hearts. 
We pray, dear Lord, that you will be sensitive now to what you're saying. Lord, even as we come to a time of prayer, Lord, I thank you so much last week for Ledge as he, as he, as he shared about the bondage of the past. As, dear Lord, he walked us as a congregation. And, dear Lord, even me, dear Lord, as I was able, even on vacation, to listen on our website. How it stirred even in my heart and reminded me, dear Lord, that the past can hold us in bondage. I thank you for his sensitivity to your spirit, to our need and where we're hurting. And Lord, now as we begin this journey of looking at finances, if we're not careful, dear Lord, we can look at the pain and the failure and the debt of the past and not hear a spiritual truth that may help us for the future. So dear Lord, may you break away the chains, the bondage, the mistakes of our past. Give us the ability to know how by your guidance and your word and your Holy Spirit to fix the financial mess that we may be in and help us to enjoy the freedom that comes when we live and owe no man nothing. And Lord, we'll give you the glory. I ask you, dear Lord, to cleanse me to let me be a vessel, a messenger that you can use today and for everyone who's listening. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, all of us would know that this is, in a lot of ways, a lot of people's God. I don't know how many of you watch Shark Tank. How many of you watch Shark Tank? Anybody watch it? It, 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 it literally is this environment where you've got investors, people that have made a lot of money, and they are... Uh, what comes before them are men and women who come up with ideas, money-making ideas, and they're basically trying to sell it to the sharks who will invest in it and invest their own money and kind of partner with them. And you watch some of these people as they're walking into this room and they're looking at these men, these great businessmen and women, these people that have made a lot of money, some of them billionaires, and they're trying to sell their ideas. There's one man on there, he's a bald-headed guy, I can't remember his name, he sits right in the middle. He's the most intimidating of all of them. And he looks at him and sometimes he'll smile and say, he'll say, and remember this, the most important thing is, and he'll, he'll, he'll go, money. But let me ask you something, is that the most important thing? Is money that important to you and I? Well, let me say this. It is a tool. It is something that we need, but in America today, in our culture today, it seems as if today's family is in bondage financially. Let's face it. So often a young couple gets married and the first thing they begin to think about is, you know, we've got to get a high-definition TV. We've got to get all the gadgets and gizmos that go with it. We've got to have a car. We just can't, we can't have any kind of car. We've got to have a certain kind of car. And then they go down and they say, you know, we've got to get our furniture. We've got to get a home. And they begin to try to, they begin to try, they attempt to borrow, max out cards, do whatever they have to do to acquire what their parents had as quickly as they possibly can. And we live in a consumer environment. And the reality is, is that if you and I are honest, so much of the purchasing and buying power today is by way of borrowing. The Bible tells us we are a slave to the lender. And so in some ways we are in bondage today financially and we're not able to enjoy the freedom. Let me give you an example. Today's Sunday school lesson was on what? The Good Samaritan. 
The reality is, I thought to myself, you know, the average, the average Christian today in the average church, if they were to come up on a man in the ditch, could not take him down to the Motel 6 and charge and put away, you know, take care of the guy. There, we, listen, so many of us are in such financial bondage that we can't be the good Samaritan. If we were honest. And I think it is one more tool of the enemy. We're living in a day where people are undisciplined. It's difficult today to be disciplined, to control your appetites. People's idea is literally fun, food, and and, and just just the thing of, of uncontrolled, undisciplined spending of finances. This is how people find their worth. Some people today, in our society today, it, you're, you, listen, uh, it's, it's the kind of car you drive. It's the home that you live in. It's the, it's the place that you live in. And all of these things help people to kind of determine as to their value and their worth. Who I am is defined by what I wear, what I drive, where I live, and how I live. And my friend, the enemy, our enemy Satan, the devil, is destroying a lot of families, a lot of marriages, and a lot of us because we are in financial bondage. Now, if if I'm striking a note, say amen. And, you know, and, and let me say, this is not just the fault of middle America, middle America today, let's take this, a house today, even a reasonable home today has begotten very expensive. A car today, man, it's like having a second house payment. Medical insurance today is absolutely unreasonable, ungodly, immoral, unethical. The amount of medical costs today And insurance today, for many Americans, the truth of the matter is they simply cannot afford it. We are in America in the process of destroying middle America. And yet we don't know how to fix it. And so there are real issues here. And Jesus was warning us. He was warning us against our enemy who Jesus, listen, on one occasion called him money. He actually referred to Satan as mammon or money because he understood that you and I will be tempted by our enemy and we are being warned that the love of money is the roots, the root of all kinds of evil. People will do all kinds of things for money. Ministers will short-circuit their ministries. They'll compromise for the sake of a dollar. It's not just the lay people. It's pastors. It's ministers. It's politicians. People today get caught up in scandal and deception. Most crimes today are committed because of money. The reality is, one writer said, most crimes are committed for money or by those who are pinched by poverty and embittered against an affluent society. A moment ago, somebody came up to me and said that Christina, precious, sweet Christina, is down in the fellowship hall, sets her purse down on a table, somebody walks through the building, takes her purse and runs. 
This is the kind of environment that we live in. Why? Because people are in bondage to this. And let me say this, when this becomes your God, you'll get it any way you can. You've got to have it. And so Jesus here, first of all, I want you to see this. First of all, Jesus counsels us. In Luke chapter 16, verse 9, he says in one translation, he says, make friends for yourselves with worldly wealth. And I think what he was saying to you and I in ministry, he was saying those of us who are planted in ministry, those of us who have given our lives to ministry, those that are involved in ministries of a church, in other words, food pantry, clothing closet, sack lunches, homeless ministry, homebound ministry, senior adult ministry, children's ministry, whatever they are, Jesus was simply saying to you and I, you and I cannot survive without this. We've got to have it. There are people that, listen, in all honesty, had chosen not to be rich. Mother Teresa was a prime example. And there may be some of you that God has called you to a very simple life. David Platt wrote a book called Radical. Amy gave me the book and said, Dad, I want you to read this. Dad, you're just going to love this book. Man, they're having conferences and people are meeting and underground church. And boy, she was all excited. And I read, about, I read the first five pages, closed it up. And a couple of days later, she said, Dad, did you read that book? I said, well, I've read the first few pages. She said, Dad, she was all excited about it. I said, Dad, why didn't you read the book? I said, well, Amy, the first five pages. I said, we've lived our lives that way. I said, you were raised that way. You understand that. And you see, God may be calling some of you to live a very, very simple, frugal financially frugal life because God is calling you to invest your resources into other things, into ministry. I believe for some of us that when we take this step, it is the responsibility of others in the body of believers to take care of us. The example is the International Mission Board. When missionaries, if you decide to go to the mission field, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go through the appointment process and at a certain point the IMB, the International Mission Board, is going to look at you and as they hand you the globe, they'll hand you a globe and they'll say, where in the world is God calling you? These are some of the priority needs, but we're not going to tell you where God's calling you. When God called us to Zimbabwe, Africa, they said, okay, now this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to sell everything that you have and you cannot be more than a few hundred dollars in debt. Wow. And we went to the mission field and our annual income was about fourteen dollars or $15,000 a year. But you, Southern Baptists, took care of our home, you provided our vehicle, you took care of our insurance so that we could invest all of our time in ministry. And God is still doing that today. He does that even with somebody like Christina who goes to schools, goes into apartment complexes, goes here and there and yonder trying to reach out and touch the lives of children, boys and girls, many of them in this inner city environment that they're growing up in. And so Jesus is saying here to you and I in 16, Luke chapter 16, verse 9, he's saying, listen, 
It is our responsibility to make friends, listen to this, and share our needs. Jim Cimbala said this when Sheila and I went to Brooklyn Tab, and I had a chance to talk to Jim Cimbala just for a moment. He knew, listen to this, Brooklyn Tab, Jim Cimbala knew of this church. He knew of Southside Assembly, Brian Wilson. He knew of the work right here. Jim Cimbala said this. He said that Brooklyn Tab could not do what they did if it were not for two things. Number one, the music ministry of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. The second thing was outside support from people who were not members that were investing back into Brooklyn Tabernacle. And we're seeing that. Why? Because people have to understand that some inner city works are not able to function and to provide the ministries that they do if they are dependent upon that community to take care of those needs. Other people are investing back in. Let me give you an example. That letter that I found on my, on my desk this morning with a $1,000 check. A young lady in Greeley, Colorado... She said, I was on a flight and I was sitting next to to a couple of people, Matt McGee, Chris McKinnon. Now, you know, we used to joke around and say Chris McKinnon was the closest thing you'll ever see to Jesus. And she said, one of the things she said, both of them shared, but she said she had the opportunity to sit and talk to Chris for a long time in London. They were on their way to Switzerland I can just imagine Chris in London or even Switzerland. And, uh, and, and, and she said that she was on her way to Kenya. But in the course of this conversation, she said that Chris came alive. He began to talk about the ministry and the impact of this church on his life. And as he shared, she began to catch hold of that. She said, we remain Facebook friends. And she said, on top of that, she said... Uh, uh, you know, she said, I begin to get on the website, begin to listen to the messages. And she said, I, I, I appreciate your boldness and I appreciate what this church is doing. And, and she sent this check with great sacrifice. Why? Because somebody sitting on a plane shared about the ministries that this church is involved in. You see, God has called all of us. I unapologetically, Brandon Baptist Church, wrote us into their budget. First Baptist Church Anguilla has written us into their budget. There was one time Pine Lake, Chip Henderson led Pine Lake to give us one time check for $15,000 to assist us here. You see, the reason being is because Jesus says it's our responsibility to share about what God is doing, the ministries, and listen, to share that with others. So he said, make friends with those people of influence. Now, he counsels us. You know, the Bible says we have not because why? You know, that's a misquoted verse. A lot of times people think that's strictly about prayer. And my friend, everything that we have, every need that we had ought to be prayed, bathed in prayer, and you know that. But it's also the idea that if we're not careful, pride can get in the way of us just being honest and saying, hey, we're, we're having trouble making ends meet and we need a little help. You see, sometimes we have not because we don't ask. And that's not just individually, that's sometimes as a church. So we have not because we have. So he counsels us.
to make friends for yourselves with worldly wealth. And then secondly, he cautions us. Look at Matthew. Take a left and go, go over to Matthew chapter 6. I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Because here in, in, in the midst of, of, of the greatest sermon that was ever preached, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus makes some observation that you and I need to be very careful and understand. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says this. He says, no one can serve how many masters? Two. You can't serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, he'll be de- or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God. In the NIV it says both God and what? Money or mammon. Money. Now what Jesus is doing is he's cautioning us and he's saying this, money is a powerful tool in the hand of a believer. In other words, what God is doing, God will bless you. God will bless you financially. But God's not trying to get a blessing to you. Listen, God's trying to get a blessing through you. The old song that used to sing, is your life a channel of blessings? Is the love of God flowing through you? You see, if, you're, if you and I are not careful, guess what can happen? We can become reservoirs rather than rivers. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I can read your mind. Are you know what you're thinking? Preacher, you don't know my financial situation. We're barely making ends meet. I can almost guarantee that you're not a systematic tither. That's one thing. And I can almost guarantee that you've had poor financial practices for years that have put you in the condition and the position that you're in right now. So I'm begging you to listen. Jesus Jesus cautions us. He says you cannot serve both God and money. Money can be a blessing. For example, the Good Samaritan we studied about this morning. That man could not have done what he was able to do had he not been financially in a position to be able to do that. And all God's people said, Amen. He could not have done what he needed to do had he been in bondage. Joseph could not have provided a tomb for Jesus to be placed in if he was not in a position to do so. Mary Magdalene came in and anointed the feet of Jesus with a costly ointment called spikenard, which was very expensive, which was the equivalent of a working man's salary for a year. Now, how could she do that had she been living in bondage? Some of us, I know what we think, if I had a million dollars, I would. You ever play that game? Sheila and I, we got kind of bored as we were driving along. She said, what if you won the lottery? Well, first of all, we're not going to buy a ticket. So don't get all bent out of shape and upset. But we were talking about the couple... An older couple, retired couple who just won $228 million. And so we got to talking about, well, what would you do if you won the lottery? And, you know, we were just having fun, you know, dreaming and, 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 and thinking about it. But the reality is, for some in this room, you may say, you know, if God would just give me, if God would just bless me, if God would just give me this, then I would know the reality is God can already see what you're doing by what you have right now. 
Has it ever occurred to you and I that sometimes God doesn't give us any more because we can't even handle what we got? The parable of the, of the tenants. You remember the parable of the tenants? You remember the parable of the talents? You remember all those parables Jesus would say? Listen, what God would do, God would see good stewardship principles and God would entrust more into the life of that person. Maybe God's not blessing because you're not faithful and, and, and disciplined with what he's given you now. I know that's painful, but it's true. I had a woman one time years ago who looked at me and said, see my husband, her husband was uh, in Natchez, there in Natchez, uh, Dwayne and Ramona, and she said, you see my husband's name was Mike, first name Mike. She said, you know what Mike's gift is? Listen to what she said. She wasn't being arrogant. She was being honest. She said, that man right there, his gift is making money. And she was right. He was very good at it. But I want you to know something. That gift that he had of financially making money was plugged back into his church. And I believe God continued to bless him because of it. Listen, folks, I'm not a TV preacher. Anybody wants to know how much I make, go, go, as soon as the service is over with, we'll show you exactly what I make. And I make pretty much what I've been making for about the last 9 or 10 years of the last 15, 16 years nearly that I've been here. My wife and I have cleaned toilets. We cleaned the office of my daughter's dental practice $300 a month to help make ends meet. I've done all kinds of things. I used to cut Miss Jeanette's grass on my off day to help take care of finances and to, make the, and to meet my needs. I love this church. I'm committed to this church. We are very disciplined. I'm not talking to you about something that I as a pastor do not myself practice. We live very frugally, and yet the, a large percentage of our income is put right back into this local church. I doubt percentage-wise there's not too many people in this church, in this congregation, who give more than we give. I'm not up here trying to get more money. I'm up here trying to teach you a principle that can change your life and make your life a lot better. Because if you and I don't get a control of this, our enemy will have us in bondage to this, and we will destroy our marriages, our homes, our families, and we'll teach our poor financial principles to the next generation who will carry it right over into the next. You see, money can bless or money can blind. Let's be honest, the rich man in Lazarus. This man was rich, but he was blind to the needs of Lazarus. Lazarus sat daily at his gate. Lazarus would take the, 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 the napkin of a rich man, which was bread, and that rich man would take and wipe his hands on that bread and he would throw it, and Lazarus would fight the dogs to eat it. The reality is, is that money, God's blessing you, not to, to get a blessing to you, but to get it through you. But the reality is, is that some of us, we can look like this to God. We are blinded by the blessings. We are blinded by the wealth. An old rabbi went to see a very wealthy, prominent businessman, probably in the city of New York. He walked into that man's office, and that man was discouraged, depressed. He was down. He, he, he looked at the wealthy man. He said, you know, what do you think the problem is? And the man talked to him for a minute, told him how depressed he was, how unfulfilled he was, even though he had the wealth of the world. And finally the old rabbi said, come here. 
He walked that man over to a window. He said, he said, look out that window and tell me what you see. As that man looked out into the busy streets of that city, the city of New York, he saw homeless people standing on street corners. He saw an elderly woman begging. He saw people in need all around. He said, I see people that are in need. I see great pain. He then walked him over to the mirror and he said, tell me what you see. He said, I see me. And the rabbi said, it's amazing what a little bit of silver on a window can do. You see, that's money. Money can blind us. I had a man tell me one time of a pastor, of a minister who had hurt him. He said, but he's a great administrator. Money can make great administrators but poor ministers. I don't want to be a great CEO and administrator. I may fail miserably there. But I tell you, I do want to be a great pastor, a great minister. One writer said that what will we do for money? We will grind our brother into the dust. We will employ children six years of age and younger in third world country in sweatshops. We will traffic sex trade. We will jerk homes out from under the poor while we build banks that look like museums. Have you noticed banks? They're not hurting for money. We exact interest and we have sold human beings like animals and in some places still do for money. You see, what will man do for money? In John chapter 12, when Mary came anointed at the feet of Jesus, you know what Judas said? He said, that could have been used, that could have been liquidated and given to the poor. John said he didn't care nothing about the poor. Said he was the treasurer and he was robbing and stealing from the purse. Money, if we're honest, even in the case of Judas... He resented the extravagant gift. He ridiculed Mary while she was giving her life savings. And then he would sell Christ for the price of a slave. And some people say, well, not me. My friend, there are people in this room, they don't even trust God enough with 90%. They think they can handle 100% of their income better. Wow. Money can make you and I a reservoir. It can make us a river. And if we're not careful, we become a reservoir. We become the Dead Sea. Every blessing flowing into us never flows out of us. We live our lives. And some of us in this room are living our lives crippled by debt. And again, some of it is, a, is undisciplined and some of it is self-image. Some of us find our, some of us find our value. It's not, listen, this is not just the teenagers' problems at the local high school because of their peers. This is the problem of so many of us. We find our worth, our value, who we are, in what we drive. I've got to drive this vehicle. Sheila and I used to laugh when all the bumper stickers, you remember Madison's not for sale? Sheila grew up in Canton, so we can say this. We used to laugh when we saw that. Madison's been for sale for the last 25, 30 years. They've been selling Madison. The truth of the matter is, in a lot of real estate, if, we're not, if, we're, if we were honest, sometimes there's actually uh, scare tactics used in some geographical areas to scare people and to get them to fly out, and then the property's bought up, so just, it's a money-making racket. There is a danger 
in our lives. If we begin to equate our value, who we are based on what we have. And the auto industry spends the bulk of their time telling you that every time you watch TV. Let me give you an example. I thought about this. Let's say positions. Let's think of it this way. Positions or possessions. Let's say that you get on a flight and you're on an airplane and all of a sudden there's a beautiful African-American young teenage girl who comes and sits next to you. You don't, you don't know who she is. She looks at you and you get, enter into a conversation with her and, and uh, she tells you that her name is Sasha. Well, it doesn't ever occur to you who that is. You, you just, you know, you know, and you begin to say, well, what do you do? She says, well, I, I live in Washington. And, well, uh, and, and, and the more you talk, she says, I, I, we've got a really nice home, beautiful, beautiful home, white home, beautiful home, just a nice home. And she, she says, I, and we, we ride in a limousine. A limousine? Wow, that's really something. I noticed you got an Apple laptop here. Is that the new Apple? Yeah, it's a new Apple top. She's showing you a new Apple top. Man, this thing's so nice. Well, I like your clothes. You just, you, I mean, you got nice clothes. And, and, and you're just enamored. And you're just sitting there. Do you think, listen, does it even make sense? She sits there and says, hey, I live in Washington. I live in a beautiful home. We drive around in a limo. We get to travel all over the world. And you're getting there and you're sitting there impressed. And then all of a sudden you look at her and she says, I'm Sasha Obama. My dad's the president of the United States. Are you, listen, are you now impressed with what she wears, what she drives, where she lives? Are you impressed by her possessions or are you impressed by her position? Hear me, you and I are the child of the king. That's where we get our self-worth. That's where we get our value. He loves you. He cares about you. But you see, our enemy, what the enemy will do is the enemy convinces us it's not about your position in Christ, it's about your possessions. You're not impressed by Sasha Obama's possessions. You are impressed by her position. And my friend, you ought to be impressed by your position as well. Jesus understood this. He warned us. He said, listen, money, it has the potential of becoming our God. It begins to define who we are. We begin to worship it. We begin to serve it. We begin to allow it. Once money becomes your God, let me share something with you. It will, number one, it will govern your decisions. Once this becomes the primary motivation in your life, it will govern your decisions. Now you base where you move, a job you take, a ministry that you go to, you base everything based on how much money do they pay. I used to love those people that come up and they say, Preacher, can I ask you a question? Say, yeah, go right ahead. How come you guys never get called to a lower salary and a smaller church. How come y'all always get called to bigger churches and bigger salaries? Once you know something, it didn't offend me. That was a fair question. And I'm proud to say I've made a lot of moves that were not financially advantageous to me nor my family. 
You see, but when money becomes our God, it governs our decision. How much money is in it? How much benefits are going to be offered? Number two, it gratifies our desires. Now the motivation is it begins to meet my needs. It's about my needs being met. Number three, we begin to gloat over our our determination. God doesn't get the glory. All of a sudden it's our drive, our ambition, our perseverance, our looks, our savvy. All of these things have helped me get as much of this as I can get because this is my God. And my enemy knows that. How much of this is enough? You know what John B. Rockefeller said? Just one more of these. You're never going to have enough. Some of you young people, listen. You will never have enough of this. When Alexander the Great was, when they put him in a coffin and they were carrying him to bury him, you know what he said? Alexander the Great, the man who conquered the world by his mid-30s, he said, oh, he said, hang my hands outside of the coffin so that people will see that they are empty. I was a paramedic for years. I was telling him about picking up a man one day who got in an argument in a bar down here around Flora. He got in an argument. He reached in to pull a 38 out of his out of his pants. He had it tucked down in there, shot the femoral artery there, and bled to death in minutes. Because he was arguing with a couple in a bar. And as I bent down there, called to that scene, and determined that that man was dead, I thought, how horrible to go into eternity reeking of alcohol in an angry fit and to have killed yourself in such a manner. How sad, how tragic. But how sad and how tragic it is for you and I to spend our lives and come to the point of death and in reality eventually going into eternity with nothing having been sent up before us. You see, hear me, when God blesses you and I and He gives us those blessings, He's trying to get it not to us, He's trying to get it through us. And you say, well, what happens then? It goes through us, it touches the lives of people, ministries and things like this, and then it's ushered right back up into heaven. I got in an argument with a man in this church about a vehicle. I said, I was trying to get the vehicle as cheap as I could get it. And he said, well, they've got to make a living too. I said, that's right. But I said, when I go to a Christian, I expect them to sacrifice a little bit because they know my salary. They know what I have to do to make ends meet. And if they'll bless me and help them, I guarantee God will restore it over and over and over again. When Amy started her dental practice and I called her and asked her, would it be all right for me to share this? She said, Dad, what do I do about ministers? I feel like I need to do something. I said, you give every minister a discount. I said, because most of them are struggling to make ends meet. I said, they're involved in ministry. You help them any way you can. And she's done that. And I told her, I said, God will often, I said, God will take care of your needs. And I want you to know this, some of you in this room, if God calls you to ministry or God calls you to some kind of ministry that requires out of you making financial sacrifice, God will provide for your needs. Where He guides, He provides. God will bless us. The enemy will blind us. And there's a whole lot of difference. So you know Jesus called the rich farmer, think about the rich farmer. And I'll close in a moment. But he was, man, listen, the rich farmer 
looked and he had a situation. He had a predicament. He had bumper crops and he had nowhere to put them. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. You know what Jesus, What did Jesus call that man? That man was wealthy in every sense of the word. Worldly, he had wealth. Jesus called him a fool. He said, thou fool, even tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. And then Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he would gain the whole world and lose his soul? My friend, one day I'm going to die. Donald Trump is going to die. His billions will mean nothing when he's laying in that coffin. Won't make a dime's worth of difference. If he's not invested in the kingdom of God, it is waste, it's trash, it's rubble, it's hay, it's straw, and the Bible says it'll be burned away. God is trying to get a blessing through you and through me. I thought about that rich farmer. I thought to myself, if, if it were our modern day, we would call him and ask him to speak at a business conference. We'd invite him to be the guest speaker. Jesus called him a fool. Now let me close by asking you this. Are you a kingdom thinker? Are you a kingdom thinker? Because this is the key. When you and I begin to see this, number one, I understand that the blessings and the things that God brings into my life are in order for me to be a blessing. Okay? God, you're not giving me a blessing for me to be blessed. God, you're giving me a blessing for me to bless. That's a kingdom thinker. When all of a sudden you get a little extra cash, something comes your way, you go, hey, God, thank you. You, you know, like Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, like some people who win the lottery, don't let nobody know it, because somebody might ask for some of it. That's the greed, of, and that's what our enemy wants. So a kingdom thinker is that person who understands that, God, you're blessing me for the purpose of being a blessing. Secondly, you're blessing me to advance the kingdom of God. Thirdly, God, you have called me to be a river, not a reservoir. You're trying to get a blessing through me, not to me. And number four, God, you've given me not only time and talent, you've given me You've given me talents and skills and abilities that need to be discovered, they need to be developed, and they need to be discharged. Your life, your life, this life, is the greatest investment, the greatest blessing that God has given you. Do you realize how many people did not have the opportunity to do what you and I did today. And that was to get up, to walk out, and to breathe this beautiful air, to look up at those blue skies, to see that sun shining down on us, to come and to worship at a place like this, and to give glory and honor to God. They didn't have that opportunity. They are dying. They are dying. They're dying of cardiovascular disease. Some of them are crippled. Some of them are in hospital. Some of them have cancer. Some of them are dying today. And while you and I frivolously are throwing our life away, not seeing the blessing of it, 
There are young mothers who are dying right now of cancer who will never see their children grow to adulthood. You say, how do you know that? I know that because that daughter of mine works at St. Dominic's Cancer Center and time and time again weeps and cries over a mother who has breast cancer and who's dying. And there's nothing that can be done. There are senior adults today that are living as prisoners. They live in some of these areas like a prisoner behind bars. And they couldn't get out and do what you've done today. Your life is your greatest investment. I close with this. There's an ambulance maybe coming to get somebody now. Strange sound, isn't it? You don't think God's in this message? You you know how many times in over four years as a paramedic, you know how many times I had those sirens going, would pull up to a home, walk into a room where a family was weeping and crying, only to turn and walk back out and say, I'm sorry, your dad, your mom's gone. Your husband's gone, your wife's gone. I'm sorry, your child is left. It's not to be frivolously thrown away. Some of you, by your diet, you are killing yourselves. Some of you smoke, some of you drink, some of you don't sleep at night, and you do nothing to solve those problems. You are in bondage, and you're trashing the temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1994, I got sick. And I've been sick ever since. And I do everything I can to do the best I can to take care of my health. Two years ago, I went to a cardiologist, and partly because of the medication that I take, he said that I had blockage in what they call the widow maker, which means basically this, you can drop dead at any moment. I live my life understanding the value of being able to do what we'll do in a moment, that's eat a meal. If you see me eating, you understand this. He is celebrating the fact that he's able to eat a meal. I run three miles every day, every day, every day. Why do I do that? Because I want to see my kids, I want to see my grandkids, I want to see my great-grandkids. Most of all, I love you and I love this church. And I don't want to get taken out of the fight. I want to stay as long as I can. But some of you frivolously throw away all of the things that God has given you. And you think nothing about it. God, forgive us. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, I want you to stand. I had told Sheila this past week, I said, do you know how I'm going to end the service? She said, how? I said, I'm just going to leave. Look this way. She said, you're what? I said, I'm going to leave. I'm just going to look at the praise team. And I told Sheila, I said, I'm going to let them end it any way they want to end it. 
because I get so frustrated sometimes when God is trying to teach us and to grow us and we don't listen. But with heads bowed and with eyes closed right now in this moment, first of all, let me ask you this. Is your life a channel of blessing? When God blesses you, do you instinctively begin to ask yourself, God, what am I going to do with this? God, how can I bless? When you get a raise at work, is it a matter of just seeing what else you can buy? What more monthly payment you can add to a stretched financial crisis? When you pay off debt, has it ever occurred to you that when you paid off a debt that that would now free you to invest in some ministries or in the lives of hurting people? With heads bowed and with eyes closed, is your life a channel of blessing? Is the love of God flowing through you? Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now. First of all, dear Lord, we know this, that until we put our life in the hands of our Creator, until we say to Christ Jesus, Lord, come into my heart, forgive me of my sin, and be my Lord. I heard Adrian Rogers say last night in a message, he doesn't really understand where we ever got this idea of Savior. He is Lord. Kurios, Christos. Jesus, we pray that if you are Lord, that dear Lord, you'll take control of every part of our finances, every part of the blessings that you've given us. And that dear Lord, we'll begin to invest it into your kingdom and for your glory. When we pay off a debt, we'll begin to ask ourselves, what can we do now? to further the kingdom of God for ministry. Dear Lord, may people not have to come to it. We've had people that were living in the parking lot. We've had people that were suffering and hurting. I heard of a man just even yesterday who said, when I sell my home, I'll live in a car. How tragic, how sad. God, I thank you for this church. This church is like no other. It's a church whose heart is open to the hurting. But dear Lord, individually, there may be some that dear Lord know nothing about that. God, may you work in our midst today. May you open up our hearts. Father, if there's one here that is not a Christian, may they give their life to you in this moment, even right now, by just simply praying and saying, Lord, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Right now be the Lord of my life. And Father, we, through our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, will begin to serve you, empowered by your Holy Spirit, until you call us home. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.